will two fast casual chains be better than one? Modern Market is about to find out. Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, Executive Editor with Restaurant Business Magazine, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I talk with Anthony Peliacumpo, the co-CEO and co-founder of Modern Market. Modern Market just engineered one of the most interesting deals of recent vintage when it merged with Lemonade Restaurant Group, giving the new company, Modern Restaurant Concepts, 58 restaurants in 10 markets. Peliacumpo will lead the new company along with co-CEO and co-founder Rob McColgan. The merger is hardly the only combination of restaurant chains in recent months. Strategic deals have been all the rage. But this one involves two growth chains, and Modern Restaurant Concepts clearly has its eyes on more such deals in the future. Peliacumpo talks about the reasons for the merger and how it will help all of its chains be more competitive in the still-growing fast-casual sector. He also has a lot to say about delivery and online ordering and how fast-casual chains need to adapt to those services to keep pace with larger players. And later, I give some thoughts on another interesting deal recently. But first, here's Anthony Peliacumpo. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, you just uh, got uh, done with a pretty interesting merger with uh, Lemonade. Tell me a little bit about it. Sure. So um, about a month ago, we decided to merge with uh, Lemonade Restaurant Group, which operates the Lemonade Restaurant brand uh, throughout California. And uh, we've been working on that for a while. And, um, you know, we're really excited to kind of be able to talk about it publicly and, uh, um, you know, kind of build this. uh, It's the beginning of building this platform of, um, you know, better for you restaurants that we're uh, currently calling Modern Restaurant Concepts. So, um, you know, both Lemonade and Modern Market will um, be run by uh, my business partner Robin Colgan and myself, and um, yeah, we're we're really excited to to push both brands forward. Yeah. So what that that, that I mean that to me is is fascinating. As as I'm sure you've 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 watched, we're seeing a lot of this sort of thing. Um, you know, both on the large end where we're seeing you know uh, large companies like Buffalo Wild Wings and Sonic and Arby's merge and. Burger King and Popeyes and, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. And then we got on the small end and then we have sort of on the other end, we have a lot of midsize and struggling chains that are doing it. This is the first one that I've heard of. I believe I might be wrong. I've been wrong before, but where we're seeing two growth chains, two fast casual growth chains do this. What, where, where do you see the benefits? What's, what's the strategy here? Um, so our observation is that there, especially when you look at Lemonade and Modern Market, the businesses from a guest-facing perspective are actually quite different. You know, I would say that Lemonade mm-hmm. has one of the more unique cafeteria style. Their cafeteria style line is very unique in fast casual. It is not a Chipotle style line, and it's not a Panera style order at the counter model. And Modern Market actually is more of that Panera style order at the counter model. So both brands have these very distinctive customer-facing experiences, but. If you then start going behind, you know, backwards from there, you start seeing a lot more overlap. And, you know, w- what is interesting is that both restaurants are built on the idea of serving higher quality food, um, better for you food in a fast, affordable format. And the reality of that kind of, if, that, if that's your goal, really what that means is you want, you're trying to do something that's more complicated and harder than if we said, oh, we're serving fried chicken wings, right? Because there we get a bag, we cut it open, dump them in a fryer, and we're off to the races. 
with what we're doing, you know, both concepts have order guides that have hundreds of fresh ingredients on. And so there's a lot of complexity on the back end that is necessary to end up having these two distinct customer experiences. And as we looked at both businesses, we realized that some of the ways to optimize that back end were the same, whether it's doing it for just modern market or doing it for just lemonade. And that we felt if we combined together, we could make some larger investments on those infrastructures um, to allow both brands back ends to improve significantly, which then enables both brands to, at the end of the day, serve better, give better value to the, you know, to the guests who come in and pay us money. And, you know, the simplest example I can give is, um, you know, on supply chain, um, there's not only the supply chain of saying, well, we have more restaurants now. Maybe if we both use a sustainable product like um, humanely raised from an antibiotic free chicken, maybe we get a better price on that. That's true. Um, but where there becomes real opportunity is when you can start saying, oh, well, now we have a, you know, we can make an investment in a system that can track that better from, you know, the producer all the way to the plate. And, um, you know, maybe at some point in the future, if we, you know, aggregate even more brands together, we can get to the point where we can vertically integrate within some of these supplies because, you know, maybe commodity chicken isn't what these brands want to be long term. And we want to have more specialized sources. And so, you know, scale and getting starting to think about verticality in terms of the supply chain become possible as we scale up. And, you know, both brands were at that kind of 30 unit mark where, in order to do, we, we had great dreams and aspirations for what we wanted to do with both brands, but that requires a lot of spend above and beyond the restaurant level. And the more restaurants we can distribute that across, I think, you know, the more interesting things we can do. We, we really came at this from a standpoint of how will this enable us to make both brands guest experience better? It honestly was not from the standpoint of, oh, let's cut costs here or, this is going to be kind of in quotes more efficient, um, which I think is what you're seeing in the larger end of the restaurant industry, right? With some of these large mergers and acquisitions. Um, whereas for us being both growth restaurant chains, it really is about how do we set both restaurants up so that we actually have more defensible positions? Because as you know, you know, the industry I think is continuing to get more and more crowded and obviously is changing really rapidly. And I think 10 years ago, just having a concept within four walls that was cool and interesting and served great food was enough to be successful. We don't believe that is enough to be successful going forward. We think you have to have that. That's kind of the table stakes for success. But then you also have to have systems and processes and, you know, I mean, really technology that allows you to, you know, I mean, that simplest example is modern market. 10 years ago, 90% of our business somehow transacted and occurred within our four walls. Now it's less than 50% of our business. So that's a complete, you know, we're running two different businesses now, right? And that second part of the business is totally enabled through technology and systems integration and thinking more broadly about customer experience isn't just what happens when you walk in and talk to someone and get brought a plate of food. There's all these other layers to it now with off-premise, third-party delivery, catering, all the aggregators for catering, office delivery. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and all these great revenue levers we have. But those are the sorts of things where if we build a tool that works for one brand and it can work for another brand, and then that's unique technology for both that put us ahead of our competition, that is a competitive advantage we can lean into. Yeah. And 
to, to me, that's I, I think this is a perfect example of where the industry is headed right now because it's. I mean, the industry as you as you've really clearly as you've really clearly illustrated has grown a lot more complicated, and it's there's a lot more required of a restaurant chain today than just ten years ago or even five years ago, frankly. Um, the ability, the 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 things that are required for a restaurant chain to compete in today's market are just so much more complicated and expensive that it takes larger and larger companies to do this. And um, if you could take advantage of that, to me, it's it's sort of if, if if you have a strategy that can work and you can do it across multiple brands that that can definitely provide a, a competitive advantage going forward. I think there's also something that's changed in the industry, which people don't talk about, I think, as much as they should, is that it's. it appears to me very unlikely that somebody is going to build a mono brand that's thousands of units over the next 10 years. I, I don't think that's what the guest is looking for, right? I think that the guest is looking for, you know, what is this cool, unique experience in my community that is mine? And what we see that shaking out as is a lot more medium-ish size brands. Like the really successful brands, I think, will be medium-sized relative to 10 years ago. You know, if you, you know, I remember listening to a noodles call. I think it was about 10 years ago. It was around the time they went public and they're talking about 5,000 noodles in company. And, you know, I, I have a hard time envisioning a world where there's 5,000 noodles in company. That's not to say Noodles and Company isn't a fantastic brand. And, you know, there can be, you know, five or 600 of them, maybe 700, whatever. But like, I don't see there being 5,000 noodles, right? And so mm-hmm. in, in casual dining, the same way, like no one ever thought there was going to be 5,000 Olive Gardens, right? And Darden exists for a reason. <laughs> um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think in fast casual, you're going to see that same thing where, you know, I, both Lemonade and Modern Market, I would never sit here, or Modern Market, I would never sit here and tell you that, there's going to be 5,000 of either one of those brands. I actually think if there was, what makes those brands special would be lost. And I think this goes to where the guest's head is at and should be. And I mean, even my own head as a consumer is, I want things that are a little more special. I want things that are more curated and more things that are relevant to where I'm at and in any given place. And so I think that that means that brands that are of that medium size, I think, can deliver those sorts of experiences. I think once you get to be thousands of units you become pretty monolithic in terms of your identity and what you're offering. And, you know, I don't think, I mean, if there were 5,000 Shake Shacks, would it have the impact that it has now when there's, you know, a hundred and something? Um, I don't think so. Um, and, you know, so we look at that as, well, if that's, if you accept that as a future that you're interested in, how do you then lever that? Right. And I think that's where, again, you, there are synergies with, you could have a bunch of medium sized overlapping brands that, I mean, Fox Restaurant Group, I think, is the I, I think they do not get enough attention in the industry for what a great job they do at having distinctive brands, right, that are under one umbrella, totally unique customer guest experiences, totally unique food offerings, incredible levels of service and execution. And, you know, they're doing that across multiple brands. And that's a really Fox as a brand is really interesting. The guest doesn't care about that though. They care that they go to North or they go to um um, any, any of the other brands and that it's this amazing, unique culinary experience. And, you know, it should feel Fox restaurants to me always feel like a cool local restaurant. 
And I think that any brand that's going to be successful long-term has to end up feeling like a cool local restaurant. And then also, to your point, execute on all these complexities that now exist in the industry that, frankly, weren't even on anybody's radar five years ago. Mm-hmm. For the record, I, I I think if you ask people at Noodles this point at this point, they wouldn't they'd tell you that they don't foresee five thousand noodles uh, in the United <laughs> States at this particular point. And and you know, and again, you know, much to their credit, I think that these days, to me, if if, if you're a a growth chain, the, the days in which the idea that you could grow to a a five thousand unit behemoth are probably gone. I think it's sort of. Uh, I don't think that the market is really, it really wants that anymore. And they, they, they seem to want, um, smaller, more unique concepts, you know, over the long term. And, and you can definitely make an argument looking at, at several different concepts that, that they've sort of lost some of their uniqueness over time as, as they've expanded too much and, and, and that sort of thing. Well, the other, the other um, thing too is well, think mm-hmm. the other, the other thing that I don't think people talk about enough is that, Think about the changing retail landscape and what that means for 5,000 unit concepts. Because when you had, when you had like go back 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you're building all these kind of identical big box anchored strip retail trade areas are getting built throughout the country, right? And maybe they were 15% restaurant, 85% everything else. Well, now that same, I mean, we're in some of these centers that used to be, you know, 85, 15. They're now 75, 25, and in some cases, 90, 10 biased towards restaurants. Well, if that's the case, if you're in a strip with the used to be you and one of you and Chipotle were it. Now it's you, Chipotle, Cava, Sweetgreen, Mendocino Farm. I mean, just list, you know, go down the list and you put all these concepts there. You're, you have to stand out and be able to be a much more unique offering, um, just to stand, you know, in that environment. And I don't think there's anybody who would say that retail 10 years from now is going to come back, right? It's not like these strip centers are are getting populated with small clothing and shoe retailers. That's not happening. Um, so I think that, that in the end changes the industry and who's going to win and lose quite a bit as well. Yeah. And, and then the other thing, and, uh, uh, and I think we'll shift gears a little bit here. Um, is the other thing is, is that we have this, this growing off premise business and, um, you know, the idea I, I'm not, you, you hear some people saying, well, the, you know, dine in chains are, are dying. Well, that's not really true necessarily. But the fact is that there's this, this, this off premise business as a percentage of, of the entire restaurant universe is growing and growing enormously and is really sort of upending a lot of companies out there in, 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 in amazing ways. And, and I think that you, so I want to backtrack a little bit to, to a point that you made earlier when you said that what less than 50% of your sales now originate in the restaurant. Correct. Wow. So, so this is coming through off premise and online ordering and catering and that sort of thing. Yep, exactly. And so has this, has, has this been a deliberate effort on your part or have you, um, has it just sort of occurred naturally? Talk a little bit about that if you could. Um, it's been a, over the last 24 months, at least it's been a very deliberate effort on our part. You know, we saw the puck moving in this direction and our view was that the, if you're going to do it, do it well, 
right? Just like, you know, we, we spend a lot of money on our, on our dining room designs, right? And creating this great in-store experience, um, for our guests. But if you assume a future where a lot of people are not getting the food via that, what's your other experience like? And as we looked around the industry, we saw that it was basically people were mailing it in on the online and digital front. And so we made a really big investment in completely retooling what that online experience was like. And, you know, we did a lot of research with our guests and um, actually looked at a lot of non-restaurant brands for what, you know, what does an e-commerce platform look like? Um, you know, you think about what's the purpose of a restaurant website. Ten years ago, you would say the number one thing was to find it, right? Be show up on a Google search and find mm-hmm. it now. It's literally, you're we're an online retailer of food. And if we're just using the off-the-shelf, you know, third, like there's a, you know, restaurant vendor, you know, Olo package that everybody else uses, how are we any different than anybody else? And so we built our own platform from the ground up. And, um, you know, it was very, very successful in terms of if you make that guest experience better, people are going to use it more. And then, you know, as we started moving into the delivery space, um, we doubled down on that as well. And we, you know, built, we have now delivery offered directly through our own web experience. And levering the third-party providers and trying to make that guest experience as great as possible. And, you know, we've got a pretty large roadmap for what does this all look like a few years from now if, you know, my my view on it is that off-premise sales for fast casual are the equivalent to what drive-through was like for QSR, where before drive-through, QSR had a certain box economic model and what they could push through an individual unit. And I think for fast casual, it was the same way. Well, now off-premise is our drive-through. We just happen to be able to put it in every restaurant that we have. It doesn't have to have a drive-through. And so then how do you lever the technology tools to create? I mean, imagine a future where your phone is telling the restaurant where you are and firing firing orders into the queue based on how far you are from picking up. And as you pull into the parking lot, you know, it notifies the internal team member, okay, bag up. Jonathan's order and then you walk out and he's in the blue Prius and you know you're you pull up there's a person standing with a bright yellow bag and they drop in your window and you keep going right that's that's possible today like that's not a, a pipe dream by any means however it requires much more technology investment than I think restaurants have been typically willing to do um, and the only people you're really seeing do it are people like um uh, the pizza, the, the pure delivery players, right? Like pizza providers or Panera made a pretty big investment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that this is something where for us, we want to be a leader in that space, not just a, oh, well, it's perfunctory. We have to do it because everybody else is. Because what I think people are not thinking enough about within the industry is that once everybody does something, you get lost in that shuffle pretty quick. And Think about the third-party Olo platforms and whatnot as the kayak.coms of the world, right? Even They're owning our guests, and they're taking a huge cut mm-hmm. of that profit. And we have to get back to the point where we own our guests, and we have to give the guests a reason to transact with us on our platform using our tools. And so there's a variety of ways to do that, and those are things that we're spending a ton of time thinking about. But the great news is we're seeing that you know guests are responsive to this. I mean, our... In our system, our number three restaurant for delivery orders is a suburban strip mall location in front of a Walmart and a Salvation Army. And 
It is not a location you would have ever, I would have ever guessed would do a lot of delivery. I thought it would all be our urban locations, right? Because you always mm-hmm. hear that delivery is like, it's all these millennials and it's these young single people ordering it, et cetera. Well, the people that are really spending the money on the platforms are the dual income parents who, you know, pick their kids up at 5.30 on their way home and really just want a great healthy meal that everybody can eat and enjoy at a reasonable price, right? That's a really interesting opportunity from a delivery standpoint. And then you start thinking about, well, how can you tailor the offering more to those types of folks? And, you know, that's where I, I think it starts being really interesting because we've had a lot of success targeting those groups. And I think if we start, you know, spending even more time, investment and money on um, um, tailoring our offering to certain use cases and figuring out, you know, it's like, why is somebody going to be willing to pay a premium to have this delivered? What can we do to make that at, like you go into our restaurant and I would contend we have a much different experience than Panera. Well, if we both get delivered to your door, what's the difference then? How can we differentiate with packaging, with offering, with just the visual spread? I mean, we're starting to do, if you look at our Instagram feed, we've upped our packaging on some items to the point of we're using our takeout packaging in our styled food photography shots on purpose because that should look like we should be the packaging as you get it delivered should stand up and be like, oh, this was a premium. It was worth paying more for this better quality food. Just like before you'd walk into the restaurant and say, oh, it's a cool, unique environment. They obviously were really thoughtful in making this beautiful place. Well, how do we do that off premise as well? And so we've, we've been very encouraged by the continual growth in sales that has occurred as we've kind of, you know, started rolling some of these initiatives out. Well, so, so now do you get uh, most of your, I mean, where are your delivery orders coming from? Are, are they coming mostly through your own, uh, through your own sites or are you getting it from, uh, the third party players? Where is it? Where are they coming from? Uh, um, right now it's about 40% through our own site and 60% through the mm-hmm. third party platform. Um, I have a feeling we will get eventually it'll settle in at a 70 30 where 70% will be through our own site. And 30% through the third party platform would be my, that, that, that kind of seems to be where the trend is pointing that will end up. And I think mm-hmm. that's a, I think that's a healthy mix because, you know, the, the platforms, you know, DoorDash specifically, they're our preferred partner and, you know, they do a, they do a great job and, you know, our ability to work with them and have visibility on their platform in the end is advertising. So while everybody, mm-hmm. lo- you know, everybody in the industry loves to complain about the fees, that you're getting charged by these platforms, I think in some ways people are often looking at it in the through the wrong lens is that, yes, on one hand, it's a fee, but it's also exposing your brand to other people who might not have been exposed to it, you know, otherwise. And so, you know, you, it's, it's all just a balancing act. And I think this is where it's just a much more complicated equation than what it was 10 years ago. And you can't necessarily use the same, um, thought process for analyzing the business today as you did 10 years ago. I mean, at the end of the day, you still have to make money, right? And have a return on investment. But mm-hmm. I think the numbers that lead to that bottom line kind of occurs in, in maybe a slightly different manner than it did before. And, um, you know, that's something that we talk in our board meetings. We spend a, a lot of time talking about because mm-hmm. you kind of have to guess for what do you think the industry is going to look like in 10 years? And, you know, how do we position ourselves to be a leader in that world? not just the world that we're currently inhabiting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I think it's it's going to be increased. It's it's important now, I think, and it's going to be increasingly important to be on those, to be at least be on one of those delivery apps. Because I, I, I in, in many respects, I mean, that's, you know, if you look at the most popular food and drink apps, for instance, near it's DoorDash, Uber Eats and, and, and Grubhub almost. Almost, you know, I mean, that's, you know, and then, and then often Postmates is the fourth and periodically you'll see McDonald's or Starbucks pop in there. But so, I mean, that's a group of customers that really like to order that way. But I mean, over time, I think you definitely want delivery to go to your own sites because that just financially is more advantageous. Is, is that, I mean, is that, is, and, and do you think that's, do you think that being part of a group uh, makes that easier? I mean, at the end of the day, we're leveraging, even when it goes through our own site, we're leveraging a third-party delivery partner. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to the balancing of the cost and who's absorbing it. And so, you know, I think if you look at Modern Market, for example, there's the delivery pricing can be slightly different depending on whether you ordered through the platform or you ordered yeah, the third-party platform where you order directly from us. And, you know, I think that that's appropriate in a way. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd like to think that at some point, if this got to, you know, if we got to the point where delivery was 70% of our business overall, which I think is actually a possibility at some point in the future. Um, mm. And that's not to say that the in-store business goes away. I look at this as this is an ad. This is because there's still a reason to go out to restaurants. And, you know, I think, a lot of dining that that dining isn't going away by any means. I just think you can open up a much bigger pie for any individual location using delivery. And so if you say, okay, it's going to go up 70%. Um, what does that end up? Uh, like, what does that imply? And well, one thing it implies is that you're probably at that point going to have your own delivery drivers for at least some portion of the day. Right. And so you could imagine mm-hmm. a future where, you know, we have, our own delivery drivers for certain peak periods where it makes sense for us to staff it that way. And then we're leveraging the third party providers, their network for the rest of the time. And then, you know, obviously we always have the orders coming through their platform. And I mean, it's no different in the end than the airlines, right? It's like, sometimes I book through Southwest.com. Sometimes I search kayak and I'm, and I, and I book, Mm -hmm. you know, book that way. And I think that the the restaurant industry is no different in the end of what's going to happen. There'll be direct models and maybe those have certain, benefits and then there'll be aggregated models that have other benefits. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting future of, of, of where this has heading and, and, and how it's, it's, it's going to be. And I'll throw, it's I'll definitely throw, something I'll throw that a prediction mm-hmm. out there, by the way, on the, that I, I have not ahead. heard anybody talk about and it drives me crazy. Cause I use these third party services a lot. I think eventually mm-hmm. you will see the third party services move into a, or ability to order multiple items or I'm sorry, multiple restaurants food on one delivery drop. So, you know, right now, like if my kids want burgers, if my kids want Shake Shack and I want modern market, that's a very complicated, expensive transaction. If there's a modern market right next to a Shake Shack, it should be very simple. And to me, that's something that the third party platforms will be able to offer that the individual brands will not. And to me, that makes sense to pay a premium to them for that. And I think that you'll just mm-hmm. like you go into kayak and you get a hotel and a flight and a car or Expedia all at one place, right? That you don't do that at united.com usually. Um, and so I think that that's, <laughs> that's the sort of thing that 
you'll see these platforms all evolve over time. Like this, it's, and it's all going to evolve mm-hmm. very rapidly. And again, I think the brands that are paying attention to this and thinking about it and not just being responsive to what are the vendors putting out there that I can buy hope are probably the brands that are going to be most successful at it. That is, sir, is a very interesting prediction. I, I, I will confess I'm not, I'm not a delivery customer. I don't, anybody listening to this podcast has probably heard me say this about like five times now, but I, I, you know, but I would pay, I think for the, I, for the ability to order multiple restaurants from in a single, in, 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 in a, in a single order and, you know, and perhaps have that, you know, perhaps have that delivered or, or something like that or picked up or whatever, because you know what, my kids, my kids can never agree on whatever restaurant they want sure. to go to. And then my wife likes something different. And of course I have my own, my own favorites in mind. And so the idea of being able to do something like that would, would be fascinating, but, but it just and over, that, and that's overall an just goes. Yeah. That, that's mm-hmm. an interesting point too, just on, what types of restaurants do well in a delivery environment? Um, because mm-hmm. if, if you're the delivery and it's so expensive for delivery, we're seeing more, more often than not, it's two diners worth of food, whether that's a single person ordering two meals and saving one of them, which actually happens a lot because you're trying to amortize that delivery mm-hmm. fee. Um, that happens a ton actually. Um, or is it, you know, I'm ordering delivery. I'm just going to get my friend or my kid, my wife, someone else on the same check just to make this, you know, this added cost again, amortize it more. And I think the restaurants, it's an interesting because the restaurants that have a slightly broader menu with fewer veto votes, I think do well. I mean, we're the number one DoorDash delivery partner, um, in multiple areas in the country that where we operate. And I think one of the reasons is that you can go to modern market and, you know, your wife can get a salad, your kids can get a pizza and you can get a steak plate, right? The, the variety helps mm-hmm. a lot on the delivery standpoint. But to your point before of, I think if you can start, it, it would be great if my kids, cause often my, it's always the burger vote with my kids are like, I really want a burger. And it's like, mm-hmm. damn it. If we could just pay and get that on one, I'm not going to do a $25 delivery from Shake Shack so they can get a burger. Right. Whereas if it's a bolt on to my existing DoorDash order, I'm already doing, yeah, I might consider it. And then think about how mm-hmm. that changes yeah. the whole dynamic of everything, right? I mean, that's like flipping the apple cart like off the bridge relative to what we have now. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, that's the re- that's where the restaurant industry is right now. That it's changing rapidly. Right. If anybody from DoorDash is listening, then uh, give Anthony credit for that idea. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> sir, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time uh, this week uh, to to join us for the podcast. This has been fast, fantastic. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, I know I talk a lot, so sorry. I didn't, probably didn't let you get a word of edgewise, but I appreciate the opportunity. I, I love talking about this stuff. No, uh, I would much rather have people listening to you than to me. They don't need to listen to me. That's uh, the whole idea is to put you on there. So thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Another recent and interesting deal came from McDonald's, which earlier this week said it plans to buy Dynamic Yield, an Israeli company that helps restaurants personalize menu boards. The planned acquisition, valued at $300 million, will enable McDonald's to bring technology used by online retailers like Amazon into its drive-thru. It's essentially suggestive selling. The menu boards will suggest different items based on time of day, weather, and other factors. If it's a busy rush hour, it will promote sandwiches that are not as complex to improve speed of service. It will also suggest other items based on an existing order. Such technology has been coming for a while, but what's notable is what McDonald's did 
to get it into its stores. It bought the company, rather than simply worked with it. Large companies, especially large fast food companies, have been more willing to break out the checkbook in recent years to give their restaurants an advantage during a very difficult market share fight. Yum Brands, for instance, bought online ordering company Quick Order last year to help its pizza chain, Pizza Hut. And earlier that year, it invested $200 million in Grubhub. These are the advantages of being big, of course, but at a time when technology is increasingly important in the restaurant space, such acquisitions give larger players a major advantage. Smaller fast food chains in particular might struggle to keep pace. And that does it for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. Contributors to this podcast include Pat Kobe, Peter Romeo, Sarah Rushworth, and Heather Lally. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer. Thank you for listening.